And Father, we ask that you would be with our body right now, the, the, the people of Christ, that we wrap our arms around those that are, that are sick with, with serious illnesses, Father, cancer, ALS, other diseases. And Father, we, we ask that, that you would be with these families, that you would strengthen them, that they would not turn their, their head to the right or to the left, but they would turn their head upwards to the great God who saves and gives comfort, Father, during this time. And Lord, we ask that um, our church and our community groups would, would, would love these people well, as this is a, a, a tremendous trial um, that each of these families are going through. And Lord, we, we ask, Father, that you would, would comfort us through this time in our world, that you would allow us to continue to focus our eyes upon Jesus that we would not get lost in all of the chaos, but we would focus upon the author and perfecter of our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, there is a lot of information out there in today's world, and some of you are, are getting into information overload. And... Um, I, I want you to try the best that you can to focus upon the word of God, the truth of the scriptures, because there's so much information out there. There's so many things to look at, to see, to hear about. And we, as the people of God, must focus upon what God has called us to do. Missions Month is this month in September, and we're challenging our people to spend three hours in the word a week. That's 30 minutes a day studying God's word. We have, we have a, um, a two, two prayer guides or two reading guides in the Welcome Center for you. One is a 30-day reading guide through the creation to Christ story to help you understand the gospel message and the Messiah that is coming. We also have the North Africa team reading and prayer guide. And I, I hope that you pick those up and spend time in the word this month. We also are challenging our people with a three, two, one, three hours in the word, two hours or two, two people that we are identifying that we go and have a gospel conversation means we are sharing the hope of Christ with them. The hope that Christ can pay for their sins upon the cross and that they can ha- trust Jesus for salvation. We're praying that our people will identify lost people and go to them these next couple of weeks, these next three weeks in the month of September. We're also asking our people to spend one hour in prayer. Lord knows that we have so many prayer needs. There are three opportunities for that. Um, your community group can pray together. We have opportunities at the church on Wednesday nights at 6.30, on Sunday mornings at 9.30, and Tuesday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in what we call the house of prayer over here, the old chapel. We would love for you to join people in prayer and gathering around what is going on in our world, trying to make sense of it all. So 321 is our challenge for the month of September to you, the people of God. Now that seems like a lot. It seems like a huge challenge. And yet the spirit of the living God empowers us to, gives us the opportunity to do what is difficult for us. God gives us the power to do. And at the end of that month, at the end of the month of September, we have spent time in prayer. We've spent time hearing from the Lord. We've spent time sharing the gospel with those that we know are lost. We've spent time in the word of God. We pray that um, at the beginning of October, when we do Mission OKC, when we split up into groups, that it would be a powerful, effective tool in our city. So here we go. Um, we're going to be talking, we've talked about children's ministry, we've talked about missions and going to people this month, and we're going to be talking all about that in this morning's sermon. It's, it's not an easy passage to read. I'm certainly glad that our, we didn't have family worship on this passage because it is dealing with spiritual warfare and the demonic, but we're talking about a little girl who is in bondage who is in need of the hope of the gospel. There, there are many little girls in our world today that need 
the freedom in Christ. Throughout the book of Acts, we have seen the spirit of the living God empowering the church to move towards the end of the earth with the gospel message. In 2021, we see the movement of God to the ends of the earth with the gospel message. The church is still advancing. You see, the narrative of God's story from the beginning all the way to the end in Revelation is fascinating. One of the reasons why you read the whole Bible in its entirety is to understand this beautiful picture of God's design. The gospel moving. God's story of salvation is moving to a close. When he will usher in the kingdom of God and those that are his, he will draw to himself in heaven. When the gospel moves, the enemy bites at the heel. The enemy, Satan, who is called the great deceiver throughout the scriptures. The heel actually is the, in the Hebrew is the word Yaakov. It's a concept of deception. Uh, it comes from Jacob as he comes out of the womb grabbing his brother Esau's heel. It's this concept of deception. And in the story of Jacob, with the help of his mother Rebekah, he deceives his father Isaac into the ble- receiving the blessing for the family. He gets goat fur on his skin and he pretends that he himself is Esau. And and throughout the Bible, the enemy does this very same thing as he deceives the nations. And sometimes he even deceives the people of God. And yet, this deception is crushed By the God who overcomes the enemy. It looks oftentimes as if the enemy might win and then God does something great to counter the enemy's attack. We see this throughout the book of Acts. Chapter 4, the enemy deceives this council, this religious council into arresting Peter and John and, and says to them, you must not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. The result is Peter and John standing up and saying, we must obey God rather than man. We must speak what we have seen and we have heard. And the church roars into action with prayer and boldness. And and it breaks out from the church as a result of this. Great unity and generosity. In chapter 5, within the own church, the enemy deceives Ananias and Sapphira inside of the church and deceiving the church of giving in order to gain affirmation or status for themselves. God says, no, that is not happening. Peter sees through this, through the Holy Spirit striking them dead. Great fear breaks out into the world knowing that this God is holy. Holy. The enemy then deceives the high priest, arrests the apostles again, and God's angel opens the doors of the prison, tells them to preach and the temple steps. In chapter 7, Stephen is stoned for the witness of the gospel. Paul approves this and is deceived. Persecution breaks out. And yet God spreads the gospel to the ends of the earth and he Hilariously does it through Paul. Chapter 12, James, one of the sons of thunder, is killed by Herod. Peter is arrested. The church is in chaos. The leaders, one of them's dead and one of them's in prison. It looks like the end. No, God crushes Herod by having him eaten by worms from the inside out. And he releases Peter. Chapter 13, Elimus, the magician, begins deceiving the pro-council. As it says there, seeking to turn him from the faith. He becomes blind by the words of Paul. 
Chapter 14, the enemy deceives the, the crowd into stoning Paul, and Paul gets up and preaches encouragement to the people that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Chapter 15, within the church again, there are some that want all the Gentiles to be circumcised, to obey the law of Moses, and to be saved. And this turns out the reason for Paul's second missionary journey as he goes across telling the churches what the council has said, that they do not need to be circumcised. And in this second missionary journey, which starts out just telling the churches what the decision was in Jerusalem, he goes across the Aegean Sea into Europe. The enemy bites at the heel and God crushes the head of the serpent. This is what Genesis 3.15 is talking about. The ancient serpent Satan, the seed of the woman who we will know is the Messiah, will crush the head. The serpent will strike the heel. This is what it says in Genesis 3.15. I will put an enmity between you and the woman. Talking about the serpent is you and the woman. And between your offspring, the offspring of the serpent and her offspring, that is singular. That is the Messiah. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Some translations say it's crush the head. Genesis 3.15 is his first gospel. It begins a struggle over God's people and the pawns of the enemy. Who will win in this battle? Who will win in this war? And over and over again, the enemy tries to thwart the plans of God and rears its ugly head. And yet God, in his sovereign grace, crushes the head of the serpent. This is the power of God over the deceptive anti-spirit. If you turn with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 11. We're not in verse 11, excuse me. We are in verse 16. We were in verse 11 last week. So if you'll stand with me in the reading of God's word, we'll begin in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept their practice. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into prison, into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. This is the word of God. You can be seated. Father, we, we know that sometimes we are complacent and that we do not see the battle that's being waged for the souls of mankind. And Father, we ask that your word would wake us up to the realities that we cannot see that we would have purpose for our life and that purpose will be to follow your will and to do your work according to your plans. Lord, give us the wisdom that we need. Give us the strength to endure. Father, 
that you bring the power to crush the enemy that seems to be winning. Lord, give us the strength as your people to see the power of God among us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I can remember when I was a little boy dating myself here in 1991. I was seven years old. And at the time, a new video game came out. It was the original Nintendo, if you know what that is. It's the original Nintendo box. And it was the second edition of this type of game. It was Tecmo Bowl was the first game. And this was called Super Tecmo Bowl. Now, 1991, this was the thing. The state of the art graphics were incredible on this thing. The increased gameplay. I think you had now eight plays that you could pick from instead of four. It was new music. The overall game itself was incredible. And my cousin had the game. Okay, I didn't have it. I didn't have the original Nintendo. wasn't that well. But my cousin had it. And so what did I do? I went to my cousin's house in Norman. And guess what we did? We played that game all day long. My, my eyes would start to get red. No, we've got to keep playing. You know, they would say... It's time for lunch. No, we're not eating lunch. We got to stuff Cheetos in our mouth as we're playing the game. We cannot stop. No food, no bathroom breaks. Everything was devoted to this video game. Nothing else mattered to me. When night came, guess what happened? We crept out of our bed. We turned that TV on and we played that thing all night long. <laughs> no sleep, no eat, do not care about anything or anyone. This was the game. I'm going I'm to let you check out this game 30 years later just to show what this looked like. Turn up that volume right there so you can get the full picture of the graphics and everything. This is fantastic. Unbelievable graphics. Unbelievable music behind it. This is incredible. This takes me back to my days. Growing up, right here, watch this, the kickoff. Show me the music, great. I mean, look at this. This is unbelievable. This, look at that, eight plays to pick from, unbelievable. Okay, you can cut that. Thank you, guys. I, I mean, this was the thing. I mean, it was awesome. It was sweet. But guess what? I was controlled by this thing. I was. It affected my life. It's a funny illustration, but the reality is that that game controlled me. That's all I wanted to do. That's all I would think about. It had a hold on me. I, I, I did not care about anyone or anything else but this game. And looking back 30 years later, you, you know, it's not all that great, is it? The scripture tells us in Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There's a contrast here in, in which Paul is talking to the Ephesian church. We preached over this, but it's, it's the control of the, of the wine versus the control or being filled with the spirit of the living God. You see, in this instant gratification world in which we live, people are often controlled 
by outside forces. And guess what? We are given over to a depraved mind in areas of our life, creating bondage to objects of worship for the pleasures of this world. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 tells the Christians, but I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. There is this this battle that's being raised even in Christians' own hearts and minds to gratify the things of the flesh and to live by the things of the Spirit. They are opposed to one another. Walking in the flesh gives the opportunity for the enemy to have a foothold in the life of someone to where it creates bondage or chains. Ephesians 4.27, and do not give the devil a foothold. This is what happens in many people's lives. The enemy creeps in until the person is almost unrecognizable. For some it may be Super Tech Mobile or a gaming system. For others, it could be really anything. It could be a substance, food, dessert, chocolate. I bet you weren't thinking that I was going to say that, would you? Fast food. Uh, Not really bad things in and of themselves, but with a lack of self-control can lead to unhealthy attachments and in some cases lead to bondage. We, we, We know about the increasingly harmful vices. The Bible talks about drunkenness with wine, alcohol, drugs, tobacco, marijuana. You can put in that category. People begin to lose themselves to these vices, almost giving up everything in their path for these things, often affecting their family, their spouse, their friends, their work around them could be electronics, movies, TV, Netflix, Hallmark movies. could be money, type of pursuit of money, social media, craving for fame, people's approval. We haven't even talked about sex or perversion of sex, pornography. These are things in which people attach themselves to and begin to be in bondage to. Any activity that has control of one's life becomes their master. Often they start out as harmless adventures and lead to devastating consequences for one's life. The Bible calls the word self-control. It is a fruit of the Spirit. And how it works is we are set free in Christ. We have been free from sin. And why go back to be enslaved by things in which control our life? We are controlled by the Spirit. We enjoy the things of the world because God has given to us for our enjoyment. But we are not in bondage to them. Romans 6, 6 says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives in God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The gospel of grace brings freedom in our life. And now we can enjoy our life because our life is not in these idols, but in God himself.
The beauty of the gospel is that we do not need anything but God himself because we are so grateful and thankful for the forgiveness and the grace that is offered to us by Jesus on the cross. And today when we read this passage, we meet a young girl who is enslaved both physically and spiritually. And she's set free by the name that is above all names. The name of Christ. Remember last week we saw the vision of a man from Macedonia calling Paul and Silas. Come over to Macedonia. And they believe the spirit is leading them across the Aegean Sea into Greece. Into, into Europe from Turkey. The call was a divine appointment and we see this woman who is Lydia. She's a businesswoman. She's wealthy. She has her own business. She's a seller of purple cloth. she's, She's wealthy. She's a seeker of God. She's a person of peace. She invites people to her home immediately after she's saved. She shows the fruit of the Spirit in hospitality. Then... We meet the complete opposite of Lydia. A girl who is not wealthy. She's not seeking God. She's in both spiritual and physical bondage. Verse 16, as we're walking to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. This is our first point this morning. It's this. In this broken world, there are people who are in physical and spiritual bondage. The deep contrast here between Lydia and this girl. The spirit of divination. The Greek text literally says she has a python spirit. The python was a symbol of the famous oracles from Delphi, representing the god Apollo, who is believed to render predictions or future events. So this serpent or this python had become a symbol for predicting the future. So anyone who possessed the gift of fortune telling or future telling was described to be led by the python. And later we see the story unfolding that she was just a pawn of the demonic. Behind the idols, the god Apollo was nothing but a demon. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 10, 20. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the, the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. You see, the term python spirit was also used in that day to speak of ventriloquists. Paul and his friends encountered a most unusual demonic scene. The slave girl followed them day after day, speaking in strange voices. This is what she said, verse 17. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of the salvation. And she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. You see, she was just a tool of the demonic. Paul speaks to who? The spirit, not to the girl. The demonic was just using her For his own purposes. And a ventriloquist. They use a puppet. To speak. This young girl was just a puppet. Of the enemy. There's a reason I believe. In which. 
why she meets Paul on the way to the place of prayer. After Lydia has been saved at this place of prayer, no doubt, Lydia begins to share the gospel. Paul is going to this place of prayer to begin a movement of God, to begin the church in Philippi. The demonic has had dominion over this place, and now the light of the gospel is advancing. The demon is trying to stop the advancement of the gospel. It's a sad turn of events as this girl is not only a pawn of Satan, but because of her gifts, she is exploited by man. That's what it says. Her brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She is a slave. In contrast to Lydia, this young girl has no name. We're never told who she is, only that she's a slave girl with an unusual gift of fortune telling. You see, even in our world today, this is not all that unusual. In slavery, human beings lose the dignity of their name. An important characteristic in all forms of slavery is disconnection. Slavery as an institution has the ability to disconnect completely individuals from their family, their ethnic, and their cultural ties. In today's world, we would call this the sex trade or human trafficking, disproportionately affecting young women, many of those children who are exploited, exploited by what they have to offer quite often their bodies. They have no names. There is a place in Thailand, we spent two years in Thailand, and there's a place in Thailand called Patia, It's 45 minutes outside of Bangkok and it's the worst place on the face of the earth. It is a place where the song God of this city was written about because of the many young girls and young men selling themselves for money. Verse 19 tells us that she had multiple owners, not just one. She is big business, being used to profit these men. You see, this young girl is not and will not be the one who their parents are bringing to our church. They are not the one who will be hearing the word of God in the home. They are the ones in whom the church will go to. This will not be a quick invitation. Invitation. It will be a power encounter. It will be a struggle for the soul of these children in our community, not necessarily in the slave trade, but in some type of bondage. This will be the addict the impoverished, the down and out that the church will encounter and Jesus will set some of them free from their bondage. May the Lord give us a heart for these who are in physical and spiritual bondage. Lord, give us a heart as Northwest for people like this young girl. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants, the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Second point this morning is this, the enemy wants to stop the advancement of the gospel. You may look at this passage, verse 17, and you may say, Everything that she says is true. How is this bad? I mean, how is this wrong? Right? What she says They're servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Is not that what we ought to be saying? 
about Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke? Wouldn't it be that the enemy disguises himself as an angel of light? The Bible tells us this. Look at her words very carefully in the context of which she says them. She uses the most high God, which on the surface is like, yeah, that is the creator God of the heavens and the earth. Yeah, that is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know this God of the Bible, the most high God, but the demon uses it to confuse the people. Why? Because there in their mind, they are thinking the most high God is Zeus. They're Gentiles. They don't know who God is. Their way of salvation, the first thing that would come to their mind when you thought of the way of salvation, it would immediately point to the emperor who was considered a savior for the Roman people and worshipped by the Greeks. And again, this woman sharing the same message as Paul and Silas and Timothy would cause great harm as she would be considered part of the group confusing people about the truth of God. Check Mormonism and Islam out if you want to see what the confusion of people in the name of Jesus looks like. She's filled with the deceptive anti-spirit, one that will twist the word of God, speaking half-truths in order to, to lure people away from the truth. But she knows who this, the spirit is behind Paul and Silas. Jesus encounters spirits. Luke talks about it. Luke chapter 4 Jesus encounters a spirit that knows exactly who Jesus is. It says, in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him having done him no harm. We know that this spirit knows who Jesus is. He knows who is behind Paul and the message of salvation in which Paul is bringing to the ends of the earth. The demon knows exactly what he's doing. Jesus heals the demoniac in Luke chapter 8. When they went to Galilee, when Jesus stepped out on land, he met a man. Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee, he stepped out on land there. He met a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he wore no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, do not torment me. We had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man for a time For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside and they begged him to let him enter these. So he gave them permission Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now we hope that this is what happened to the slave girl. Amen? It doesn't tell us what happened and those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed 
Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home. Declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The demon knows who Paul is. He knows what they're proclaiming, that they're servants of God, that they're proclaiming the way of salvation, yet he disguises himself as an angel of light. The demons want you to doubt the character and the nature of God and doubt his word. They will do anything in their power to get you to do one of those two things. To doubt the nature and the character, the goodness and the grace of God, the justice of God, and doubt the truth of the scriptures. If he can, he will confuse you. Through people's mouths, through information overload, through any possible means necessary. On the other hand, God's people need to watch out for areas of life that they can allow the enemy to grab a foothold. God's people are marked with confession of sin, repentance and faith, a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. Ephesians 4.30, it talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. And what is grieving the Holy Spirit? He talks about it continuously through bitterness and anger and malice. It's not just through having vices in our life, but bitterness in our heart enemy grabs a foothold lack of forgiveness the enemy seeks to kill steal and destroy not only people who are outside of God but people who are inside as well the enemy speaks half truths here through this little girl Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out of that, that very hour. This is our third point this morning. Jesus has authority over the spiritual forces at work. It's funny, these, these comments in the Word of God, you know that the Word of God is actually true. Because this doesn't make any sense, right? Paul becomes greatly annoyed. Wouldn't it say something to the effect of Paul filled with grace for this young girl? No, no. He was annoyed. He's not happy. It's almost as if this young girl through the demon is baiting him. To do something. And yet, by the power of Christ, the girl is set free from the power of the demonic. Christ gives his church the power over the demonic. There is no power that they have in this place 
over these people. What happens next? Verse 19. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them. The magistrates tore the garments off them, gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into inner prison, fastened their feet with stocks. These enforcement officers, the symbol of their office was a bundle of rods with an axe protruding from the middle, tied together with a red band called the fasces. This symbol would be revived in modern times by Mussolini for the fascist movement. The rods were not mere decorations, but were used in scourgings. They beat Paul and Silas with these rods. It's the end of the road. Gospel may not continue here. The end of the earth, the enemy is striking. Yet God would soon crush the head of the serpent. The Gentile jailer who no, no doubt beat these men, giving you a, a hint of what will happen next week. But he will see who God is, believe in his whole household. Ephesians 6.10 says this, Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. My friends, this was not just in this moment. The enemy was baiting Paul because he knew what would happen if these slave owners did not have their money. And yet God would crush the head of the serpent. The ultimate story is Jesus and the disciples sitting down the night before Christ is crucified and Satan enters into one of them. We know his name would be Judas. We know that he would betray or deceive the son of the living God with a kiss or 30 pieces of silver. And they would take this Jesus they would beat this Jesus. They would hang this Jesus on a cross and crucify him, mocking him, humiliating him. To die in a robber and murderer's death. The enemy would strike the heel. And yet God would crush the head. As three days later, Jesus would resurrect from the dead. Conquering sin and death for you and for me. So that we may have life. Yes, in your life right now, the enemy may be striking at your heel. You may feel overwhelmed. You may feel discouraged. And yet God is still there. He has not left you. He has not forsaken you. And in the end, 
the Bible is unfolding God's plan of redemption and salvation through his work. God will work in your life. This is what Paul writes at the end of Romans. He says this in Romans 16, 19. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Be the church, the people of God. Do not allow the enemy a foothold and wait for the power of God to come in your life and do something miraculous. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for allowing us to see your story unfolding in the scriptures, even in the book of Acts, how you want to show your power and your might even amidst things that seem to be devastating. Father, may we have faith as Paul and Silas have great faith. And we'll see next week, Father, that they're singing praises, having been beaten for the name of the cross. That they're singing praises to their God in stocks, in a prison, in the inner cell. And Father, you rescue them where they are because you have a plan for them. And Father, we know that you have a plan for us today, this morning, that you are working, that your spirit is moving, that the advancement of the gospel is moving forward. Father, there's so many things that we don't know what to do. We ask you that you would come in power, that you would move our church to share the gospel, that you would move our people to advance the kingdom, to look outside of ourselves, to be people who see the little girl in bondage. Who see the men and women enslaved. That we would come in the name of Christ, encounter them, share with them, love them. Father, you have great plans for this church. You have great plans for our lives. We ask you that you would do a mighty work. Lord, we thank you for letting us see people for who they are. Taking time out of our day to see your word. Help us to trust in you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.